Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I am intentionally encouraged when I see people doing business the right way. And for the last 15 years, Damon Burton and his team at SEO National have done just that. Now you might say, Brian, what can they do for me and my business? I'm going to tell you what they can do for you. They can help you understand search engine optimization. There are a lot of players out there in the marketplace, but you want a team of people that are going to be dedicated to working with you and helping you to understand search engine optimization and how you can show up higher on search engines so that you can bring more revenue into your business. Damon and his team are full of integrity, honesty, decency, and trust. And if that's important to you and that encourages you, I would encourage you to give them a call today at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get a free quote and tell them you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Get ready for a dynamite conversation coming up right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Hey, I got to give a shout out this new background. I am loving this new background. We're using it for part two of this episode. But again, I want you to get with my friend Tony Swisher at Shine Events. And I'm going to put that link in, in the show notes. Did this great background for me. but And it looks great. I, I'm enjoying it. But what I'm enjoying even more is the conversation that, I, that I'm having with my friend Tom Willoughby. Um, Tom is a, is a financial officer, a leader, um, has, has been a CFO for, for a lot of, of large companies, running his own company now in the healthcare space. But in part two, I really want to focus on what happened to him seven weeks ago. Those of us that are friends of Tom, man, we were super concerned when we got the news that that Tom had 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 a, a cardiac event and that's where I'm going to leave it because I want Tom, I want to welcome Tom and let him take the ball from there and run with it. Tom, man, again, I, I, I'm looking forward to this part of our conversation and I appreciate you using this platform to really take a deep dive into your story. Oh man, it, it's a story that uh, it, uh, I could talk about it for days and days and it's well and just so many life lessons in it and 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 so much transpired it's just just I'm still trying to wrap my head around it all. Well uh, and, but, and and please forgive me for interrupting, but you've told bits and pieces of it on your Facebook page. I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity as your friend to tell it in, in more depth and um the honor is absolutely all mine. So Take me to that day, you, August 20th, which was not, I mean, as we record this less than two months ago, almost right at two months. So take me through the events of that day and what happened to you. And I may jump in with a question or two to, to, to pull a little more clarity out. Okay. Uh, so actually it was August 29th. 29th. Uh, forgive me. 29th. Yeah, it's etched in my memory. <laughs> I won't forget that date anytime yeah. soon. So many things strike me about this, but it started off as the most typical day you could imagine. I'm dropping my son off at school. Uh, I went from there and I went to the gym, got on the elliptical, which I've done a thousand times. I'm thinking about what I've got going on that day. I've got a haircut scheduled. I've got a couple of meetings scheduled that I've got to go through. 
talked to my son about cutting our grass that evening because it was going to rain the next day. Just absolutely as typical as you could imagine, routine, nothing out of the ordinary. And about 25 minutes into the, uh, the elliptical, I'm not feeling good. And I wind up and I couldn't quite put my finger on exactly, but I'm like, man, I just don't, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. Stepped off and I was, I realized I'm, I'm having trouble breathing here. I'm, I'm, I got a little pain in my chest and it's, it's tight. And for just a split second, uh, I thought this, maybe I've got bronchitis. Cause I remember bronchitis felt like somebody put a big rubber band around my chest. Yeah. And I said, no, it's, it's not bronchitis. You're, you're trying to, I said, you're trying to convince yourself it's bronchitis, but you know, no, that's not it. And my hands, both hands were just ice cold. And I'm going, I got sweat pouring off of me and my hands are cold. This doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And I said, these are signs of a heart attack. You need to get to, to a hospital. Were you scared at all? Uh, uh I was, I, I, I was scared, but I also thought, man, I'm going to feel really dumb if I go to the hospital and they tell me, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and the hospital was about a mile away. And I, and I actually wound up driving myself because I was like, I, I, again, I didn't know I was having a heart attack. I knew I was having these symptoms, but I wasn't sure. And I'm sitting there in my mind going, I have a bad genetic history. My dad had a heart attack about this age. And I'm going, so I have spent a lot of my adult life trying to take care of myself. I'm going, I had a full cardiac workup done six months ago and they told me everything was fine. So this isn't making sense. Maybe it's not a heart attack. Maybe yeah. You were trying to attack. overcome the, you were trying to overcome all the, all the predispositions that yeah. would have, that would have said, okay, Tom, when you hit this age, here it comes ready or not, and you're trying to do everything you can to avoid that day coming, and, and here it is knocking on your door just like clockwork. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, I get to the hospital, I walk right in, and I cannot say enough about the, the, the local hospital and the people there that took care of me. I walked in and went up, and, and they had me in a room in under two minutes, maybe under a minute. And as soon as they, as soon as my butt hit the bed, the nurses come in, the doctor comes in, he said, start two IVs on the guy. He must've been expecting trouble and they hooked up the EKG machine. And when I'm telling you, when they put that last little sticker on you for the EKG machine, the doctor was standing there reading it. And this is all just happening to me so fast. And as soon as, as he starts reading that EKG machine, the doctor looks at me and he says, you are having a heart attack right now. Uh, he said, you need, and this was a, a, a local hospital that, that doesn't have a lot of, uh, the certain services they don't offer and they don't have a cath lab. Can we, can we give so them a says, shout? I would need... love, I would love to give them a shout out. Jackson General Hospital in Ripley, West Virginia. I want to give them yep. a, a big shout out. Yeah, they are a part of uh, WVU's uh, health system. So they are part of a bigger health system, but they are, are my local hospital. And he said, you need to go to a hospital with a cath lab. We are calling a helicopter right now. And it's just hitting me like, how's this happening? You know, 10 minutes ago, I was on the, the elliptical and feeling fine. You know, 30 minutes ago, I was dropping my son off to school and telling him I'll see him at three o'clock. 
you know, uh, how's this this happening? And and let's give some folks from some perspective here. Where you live, and 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 I want to I want to give the audience because there may not there may be some people from a perspective standpoint. So Charleston, West Virginia, is our state capital. Interstate seventy seven. If you go an hour north. You'll about a little over an hour north. You'll be in a town called Parkersburg, West Virginia. So you're about 30 minutes outside of Charleston, and about 40 minutes from Parkersburg. So you're right in between. You're kind of in a a no man's land situation there with healthcare. That's people would say, well, why do they have to life flight him if he's at a hospital? Because the cardiac units one's about 35 minutes away, the other's about 45 minutes away, and so that I mean I. Forgive me for jumping in there. I wanted to give our the audience a little bit of perspective of why they were thinking about life flighting you. Were they telling you, did they give you the option of Charleston or Parkersburg, or did they just say, we're going to get you out of here, we're going to get you on a helicopter, and you're going somewhere? I, they, t- they said, where do you want to go? And I said, uh I I actually used to work in Parkersburg at Camden Clark. Now that was I remember, before yeah, I remember they had yeah. a cath lab, and that was a long time ago. Uh, but I was like, you know, one's about as close as the other. Uh, and I said it's us, and I just I said Camden Clark, uh, which is up another part of the WVU health system. Um, and I had a lot of confidence. Not that I don't have confidence in other places, but I just knew with it being part of the WVU health system that it would it would be a, a good option and I said Camden Clark and they said okay um, and then I uh, I called my sister and about scared her to death uh, told her I was said I'm at the Jackson General ER they're telling me I'm having a heart attack um, how how do you like to get that call at, at 9 a.m. from your family member yeah no yeah. doubt no doubt um, and so they, uh, are making plans and they're doing everything they can. They're giving me a big, powerful clot buster drug. They've given me an aspirin. They're giving me nitroglycerin, but what was happening, and let me say this to kind of put it in perspective, the heart attack was in an area of my heart, uh, an, an artery, and I don't know the, the medical name of it, but the, the common man's name for that is called the Widowmaker. Uh, because that's what it does when you have a heart attack in that area. That is the main artery on the left side of your your heart, and it feeds the two feeds blood to the two lower chambers of your heart. Okay, so when that gets blocked, it's not just that area is blocked. Now you've got the two lower chambers of your heart not getting any blood either. Um, and I had a hundred percent blockage in the widowmaker artery. Uh, now, if you want to do some research on that or look it up, the odds of surviving that are about 12%. So it was, it, now, now, thankfully, I didn't know what my odds were at the time. And I don't think they told me that artery is called the Widowmaker. But here is the part that I really have to talk to people about and, and share with people. While we're waiting on the helicopter, okay, um, my heart went into a specific rhythm uh, abbreviated called VTAC, and that rhythm is fatal, okay? If you stay in that rhythm, you, you die, and that's what happens when there's no blood getting to the lower ventricles of the heart. 
Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Prices are going up by the day. We've got to find ways to increase our household revenue. Now, a couple ways you could do that is, one, you could go and ask your boss for a raise, but if that doesn't work, I've got another way for you. It's my friend Joe Hart's program called Products for Profit. Joe's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourage podcast and told his story about how learning retail arbitrage changed his life, and he's been helping thousands of people change theirs. Now, retail arbitrage is simply this. It's taking a product and buying it and then reselling it online for a higher price, and you keep the profits. And guess what? Amazon and Walmart use third-party resellers every day to fulfill their customer orders. I want you to go to productsforprofit.com or productsforprofit.carrd.co. Get connected to Joe's team. Tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast and start making money today with Products for Profit. And now let's get back to more great conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. So that happens. I lose consciousness. My heart's stopping. I'm dying there. This is this is when you see the scenes on TV when they're bringing out the defibrillator. Okay, it was it was that bad. They are hitting me with the defibrillator, and I didn't know exactly how they did the defibrillator, but apparently they hit you with it. If it doesn't bring you back, they crank up the voltage. They hit you again, and they crank up the voltage again. Um, and I'm still a little sketchy on some of the details, but they hit me with the defibrillator uh, six times in total. I, uh, as I understand, they hit me five times, and it the fifth time brought me out of that VTAC uh, heart rhythm. Then I went back into it, and they had to hit me again. So I was hit six times with the defibrillator. I mean, I was if this doesn't explain to you how close I was to not being here, I, I don't know how I can, can explain it any better. But I have to talk about what happened during that time period when I was unconscious. Um, where they're hitting me with the defibrillator, I, I am, I, I don't know if I was clinically dead or I was just in the process of, uh, uh, of dying with that heart rhythm, but it's bad. Um, I had what I will call a dream-like experience, and I will never refer to it as a dream because I think it was much more than that. It wasn't one of these things that you read about or hear about where somebody sees their, them floating above their body and people yeah. working on it. It wasn't like that, but um, in this uh, dream-like experience, I was in a, a boat, specifically like a, and I may pronounce the name wrong, gondola or gondola, the kind they have in Italy where you've got the mm -hmm. guy in the back of it with the big pole that steers you along and moves you. I was in the boat. Um, there was a guy, and there are certain things of this that stand out to me. There was a guy in the back of the boat that I can only describe his dress, dress code as being like it was biblical times is what it seemed to me. It was either a robe or a cloak, and he had a hood on that kind of obscured his face, and he's guiding us down this waterway. Now, that, if I'm saying that and you're hearing it for the first time, it may sound like a Grim Reaper type thing, and it wasn't Grim Reaper. I didn't associate that it, with that at all, but it did look like this is biblical times. That's, that's what it struck me as, and for some reason, it was somewhat dark where we were, and it wasn't like there was an, I, I, I don't remember looking up, but I didn't feel like there was a night sky, but it felt like we were in some kind of like a, a tunnel or a passageway where there's like a more of a, a man-made roof over us. Uh, and anyway, in this experience, we come up to, uh, 
I'll call it a dock-like structure that blocked the waterway. I, dock isn't the exact right word, but I don't know how else to describe it. And there is a man on the dock dressed the same way, biblical times. And he has to open up the dock to let you pass through and continue down the waterway. And we come up to this, and the guy in the boat uh, says something to the guy on the dock, says, I've brought this man to you to pass through. And I'm just, I, I'm along for the ride here. I'm not saying anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm just there. And uh, the guy on the dock, and, and this is kind of getting the answer, guy on the dock says, this man cannot pass. That I distinctly remember that wow. was it. This man cannot pass. And that's the end of it. There was no explanation as to why I cannot pass. The guy in the boat didn't ask any questions or protest. He didn't say, well, I brought this guy all this way. What do you mean you're not going to take him? It was just that that was it. This man cannot pass. And the next memory that I have is I'm regaining consciousness in the ER and they're doing chest compressions on me. They're doing did CPR. you feel, Tom, did you feel before this, this dream happened to you? Did you feel like, oh no, I'm going out. I am. This is. I mean, how how did you lose consciousness? Did you just kind of go to sleep, or what? What was that? What was that like for you? I don't remember that part at all. I remember being in there and answering some of their questions and trying to get an idea of what's going on and being very scared. And I don't remember the process of losing consciousness. I remember the process of regaining it. Um, and I didn't know, again, I'm not medically trained. I didn't know that after they shock you with the defibrillator, then they perform CPR too. I didn't, I, I, I learned that when I woke up and there, the guys, there's this big guy, you know, pushing on my chest and I'm kind of like, I'm, and I could figure out real quickly if he's pushing on my chest, I must, I, I must be doing CPR. Something must've happened. And they start to tell me that they had to shock me with a defibrillator and told me they, uh, I have caught up with the doctor and become friends with him on Facebook and gone back to visit him. So I don't know exactly what they filled me in at the time and what they uh, told me afterwards. Uh, but yeah, they explained to me that I had been hit with a defibrillator and, and everything. And um, I had somebody tell me some things because a lot of people have said, Oh, this is like Greek mythology in the river Styx mm -hmm. and, and, and that stuff. And I'm like, no, that, that, if I am telling you this and you're hearing the words, that may be what it sounds like, but experiencing it, it was not like that at all. Um, and I had a friend of mine send me some stuff from a Christian author. And I wish I could remember the guy's name. I might be able to pull it up here that explained what some of this stuff meant. And it's not at all what you would, would, would think or, or, grim reaper type stuff yeah um they said that, that if you're having this kind of experience the the water means you're in the presence of the holy spirit uh the the cloak or robe or whatever i would call it that is symbolic and i it took me a while to understand the significance of this but and again i feel like these things stick out to me for a reason um that there there's a reason that that dress code is so vivid in my mind yeah and one of the things that sticks out to me they said that that is uh 
people who have the full armor of God. And it took, I'm like, what do you mean the full armor of God? And I really had to think about that. And I kind of came to the conclusion of we talk about sports teams a lot. And, you know, you go and the Bengals are orange and black and the Steelers are black and gold. Okay. I started thinking, oh, this is like sports teams. That's, that's, that's the people yeah. that are on God's team. That's their uniform. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. I, I get it now. Um, the boat, uh, is, is the, the meaning that this Christian author attached to the boat was that this is, um, an experience or something that can influence a great many people. So I have told this story to friends, to neighbors, to colleagues, to, uh, on Facebook, to social media, anybody that will listen, I have told this because this is, they said, this is like a ministry that can, that, that can influence many people. There's other things that are more obvious. When the guy, guy on the dock said, this man cannot pass, it, it was clear to me that God has a purpose for me, that it's no accident that I am still here, that, that I, I am here for a purpose. And I am trying so hard to work through the cardiac rehab to regain as much strength and stamina and energy, because whatever that purpose is, my thought is I need to be healed up as much as I can to fulfill yeah. it. Whether that purpose is just to be a father to my children or whether it's that plus something else, I, I need all the health I can regain to fulfill that. Well, but, here's what I thought. Here's exactly what I thought when you were telling me that. What I thought was, you mentioned, you said, I, I was scared, okay? And I would be, I, I think any of us, you're laying there, they're telling you, you're having a heart attack right now. You would think, oh my gosh, I, I know I would. I would say, oh man, is this it? You know, is this, am I going to, am I going to die in this hospital? Is that what, it, and you're your, you're your children's primary caregiver, your son and your daughter, you're their primary caregiver. And what I thought was, and, and somebody may have a different th thought about it, my thought was it was a reassurance to you that you weren't going to pass. That, you know, that that the thought that goes through your mind is, well, what's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to this? What's going to happen to that? And maybe it was the Lord telling you, this man cannot pass yet because, one, it's not your time. And two, you you do have that purpose. That's that's what went running through my mind. Now let, let's go. Let's 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 kind of move into the story, and we can come back to that. You get life flighted to Parkersburg. Yeah. You you're, yeah. you're on it. You're on it now. They're loading you, so you regain consciousness. Mm -hmm. You're you're going to Parkersburg. What what is now going through your mind? You've just had this dream. You you're out of it. This man cannot pass. Did you feel peace? Did you feel, hey, I you know let's let's knock this out? Because one thing about one thing I know about you too, Tom, you're a pretty practical guy. Like okay, let's let's now that we know what we got to do, let's go get it done. Take me through that that part from from leaving Jackson general and getting on that life flight to Parkersburg. Well, let me, let me back up one step for that. Yeah. Talking absolutely. about my kids. That was the thing that the doctors kept coming back to as They said, you had kind of came in and out of consciousness a couple of times. And every time you, you were, you kept saying, you kept the same thing. 
somebody call the school to pick up my kids. Somebody call the school. I'm not going to be able to pick up my kids because uh, I didn't know if I was going to live or die, but I knew I wasn't going to be discharging going picking up my kids. I knew that at least for today, I'm, I, I kept thinking of my kids being there and nobody coming to pick them up and nobody knowing what happened to me and, and them saying, where's dad? What's going on? Uh, so, so that was a big thought. Um, I am not sure why, but this comes back to me a lot. When I was getting on a helicopter and taking the ride to the helicopter, I had all kinds of thoughts, but none of them seemed to be about dying. That stuff seemed to have passed by the time I got on the helicopter, and I'm not sure why. I I do remember when I got to the cath to, to Camden Clark, and I asked the doctor, I said, am I going to make it? And he said, at this point, your odds are excellent. They're really good right now. Um, but, um, yeah, they are – I and I – strange things, you know, them rolling me out and me feeling how warm the air was. Um, me, the door was open on a helicopter and seeing the, the blades go around and, uh, and odd thoughts like, I never thought this would be my first helicopter ride. <laughs> um, when they got me to Camden Clark and are getting ready to take me into the cath lab, uh, at one point, I counted eight bodies around me working on me because they were prepping me to take me into the cath lab. And they were there was some debate about whether they were going to take me in or not because they had given me this uh, uh, powerful clot buster that, that thins your blood out. They were worried about the risk of bleeding, but they decided that the, the, the benefit was worth the risk to take me in. Um, but one of the things that, that I have thought about and has come back to me that I – I'm so grateful to all of these healthcare workers from the life flight crew to Jackson General to Camden Clark is the phrase when somebody's going through something like this that they use is he's fighting for his life. I I realize if somebody is maybe in a different situation, like maybe they're battling cancer or something, that phrase may be more applicable. But in my situation, I remember thinking that I, that isn't a misused phrase because all I can do is answer a few questions and pray. It is all of these other people that are fighting for my life. It's not me. I'm along for the ride. There's nothing I can do. You know, it's it's the doctor that's performing the CPR and the nurse that's administering the drugs and the flight crew that's taking me there and the, the cath lab personnel that are putting the stint in my heart. They're, they're working their butts off. They're fighting for my life. I'm along for the ride. Well, he, Tom, here's the thing that I thought about as you were just saying that. Flawless execution, right? We hear about it all the time. You and I are big football fans. Like, boy, that was so flawlessly executed. But think about it. Had the life flight person not executed a flawless flight you get to that cath lab and the people working on you let's say there's the slightest thing that goes off or things like that this may be a very different conversation if we're even having this at all I, what i thought about was man every you you're talking about everybody else being in control my thought was, as you were telling that just now, is, man, everybody executed flawlessly to, to get you to this, to get you here at this well, point. 
they absolutely did. And I, I also want to say, though, looking back on it, everything had to go exactly the way it did for me to be here. Uh, to the point that I say a blind man could see God's hand in this. To the point that when I left the gym, you know, there's two traffic lights. I caught both of them green. I got there. The, the doctor wasn't on a smoke breaker in the bathroom. The life flight helicopter hadn't already picked somebody else up and made me wait on a flight. There wasn't somebody else in the cath lab at Camden Clark when I landed. All these things had to go exactly the way they did for me to be here. And I'm like, uh, you know, looking at that, a, a blind man could see God's hand in this. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know dreams are powerful pieces of intentional encouragement. We all have them. If you're a business owner, you probably always dream of taking your sales to levels you've never seen before. I've got a guy that can help you with that. His name is Brad Norwood. My good buddy Brad has been on the Intentional Encourager podcast as a guest before, and he is a dream specialist. His company, Dream It Pro, offers incentive packages to travel to places such as the Masters, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, even exotic places that you've always wanted to take your team, but you just didn't know how to do it. Brad's your guy. And oh, by the way, Brad's a certified bucket list coach, so he can help your team members achieve their personal dreams as well. I want you to go to www.dreamitpro.com and find out more or call him directly at 479-466-6907. And by the way, tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. That is so good. So you you're in Parkersburg. They get you to the cath lab. And again, that that's probably you're right. It is the fact of they've given you this clot buster to try to get that blockage, get rid of some of that blockage. If you know, because you know, knowing knowing a little bit about a heart cath, they're not going to get rid of, of it totally that way. Um, they've just got to be able to get it broken up enough to where they can go in there and, and do what they've got to do. So you're in the cath lab. Did you ever think at some point that you were going to have to have open heart surgery? Because that is an option sometimes in situations like that. Um, take me through the next little bit of that, that ordeal. Well, you know, I didn't know this, that you're awake when you're in the cath lab. So I am sitting there and laying there in the cath lab and I'm listening to the doctor, you know, give out these orders and the people respond to him and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know I was going to be awake for this whole thing. Um, and as the doctor's doing it, I hear the doctor say, stint deployed. And when he, I heard that, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be okay. The stint's in place. I, I'm, I'm good now. It was all happening so fast. I didn't even think about the open heart surgery, to be honest, because I was it was just happening so fast because that's another thing that I, I just struggled to, like, wrap my head around it and comprehend it when it was all over. At 7.45, I'm dropping my son off to school. At 8.30, I'm having a heart attack or whatever. At 9 or I don't know the whole time frame, I'm getting flown to a hospital. I'm going into a cath lab. By 1230, 
I'm sitting in a bed in the cardiac unit at Camden Clark feeling fine. I mean, I, I, I don't have a pain. I'm not wiped out. I'm not short of breath. I'm not anything. I'm grabbing my phone, responding to text messages and Facebook posts. And I'm like, this is surreal. It just, it all happened so fast. And it impressed upon me the fragileness of life because, uh, and I still was sitting there like, how did all this happen in just this short amount of time? I'm dropping my son off, telling him I'll see him at three o'clock. I'm, I'm being told I'm having a heart attack. I'm on a helicopter. I'm in a cath lab. And now I'm sitting here like nothing ever happened almost. Um, it, it was just so surreal. Uh, the other thing that I've got to talk about and I've got to say is, is, and I'm not sure how I can, if I can put this into words, but the, the whole experience and having a 12% chance of survival and having that dreamlike experience and being hit with the defibrillator and all this stuff, I would never wish a heart attack on anyone, but at the same time, I've all, I, I have never felt God's love so much or felt so close to him or felt so sure of it. I was one of these people that I, I always said, you know what, I, I'm pretty blessed. I've, I've got food in, the, on the, in my refrigerator. I've got a roof over my head. I've got a strong mind. I've got a healthy body. You know, God's taking care of me. But I never really, I think, grasped or understood his love until I went through that. Because I'm like, why did he save me? I'm nobody special. I've, 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 I'm not some great person. I've, I've made some mistakes in my life. I've done some good things. I've gone to church, but I've missed a lot of Sundays. I've read parts of the Bible, but I've never read the whole thing. Why would he save me? There's so many other people that are such, I always thought, better people or more deserving of some great act like this from God that I'm like, why did he save me? But if there's a message I have to, to anybody else out there is, is, man, God's love is for everybody. It's it's not just for the people that you look at and think they're the 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 stand on the highest moral ground or they're the 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 have the greatest character or 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 they are the people that everybody sees as 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 being pillars of society. Man, God's love's for everybody because I yeah. just thought I was so if he's gonna pick somebody to say, why me? I'm there's you can you could find you know, a million people more worthy of it than me. That so, you know, if if there's a message, that's that's it. And God's love is so real, so powerful, and it is for everybody. So that's, well, that's one of the big things uh, that that I I want to tell in this story. No, and and I love that, and I appreciate you sharing that. And and you wonder sometimes, to your point you wonder sometimes why some people don't survive what you went through and some people do. And, and you just, what you have to say is it, it just, you know, the Bible says there is an appointed time for a man to die and then the judgment. And it obviously was not your time to pass. As you said earlier in the, yeah. in this conversation, it's been almost two months. How are you feeling? Well, let me tell you one more thing about the hospital yeah, stay, and then I'll get into how I'm feeling. Is um, 
when everything settled down that evening, because uh, uh, my ex-wife brought my kids to me, uh, and they got to see me that evening, which was great, because I think it reassured them that, you know, dad was, was still okay. Uh, and I had my sister and brother-in-law and everything there. But when things finally settled down that evening was, uh, was the first time I really got a chance to be alone and just to bow my head and say a prayer and thank, thank God for saving me. And one of the things that struck me is I couldn't come up with words. All I could say when I tried to, to pray was I just kept saying thank you. And I just kept saying thank you over and over. And I started, I started crying because I thought God spared me. He saved my life. He did this great monumental thing for me when by all statistical measures I shouldn't be here. And the only words I can come up with for him are thank you. I, I thought I should there should be bigger, more powerful words for such a great act that he did for me. Um, but I've also learned from talking to a lot of people, you know, thank you is a, is 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 adequate for God. You know that that he knows what's in your heart, and and if you can't find the words, he knows what you mean. But that's uh, another thing I want to say is. Don't worry about the words you use when you pray to God. Just just pray to him and open up your heart to him. But um, let me talk about real quick what I've got going on since then. Uh, I am in cardiac rehab doing it three days a week, and it is about like going to the gym for an hour workout. And let me tell you, I am doing my best to wear those machines out. Uh, I, I am hoping before I get out of there that I, that I take one of those machines and I work it so hard that it just gives up on me. But but I am feel like I'm doing great. I've I've lost about 15 pounds. Um, uh, I feel like my stamina and energy are are, are doing real good. Uh, and let me do a compare and contrast. When I first got home, the day I got home, I live in a housing plan and just tried to walk to the end of the street and back. Walked really slow just to see how I would do. And I thought I'm doing okay here. I'm going a nice slow, easy pace, but I'm doing okay. I'm not short of breath. This is all right. And the phone rang and it was my daughter and I started talking to her and I got about two sentences out and I said, I can't do it. I'm out of breath. I can either walk or I can talk, but I can't do both. Contrast that to now, uh, last Thursday, I took a three mile, very brisk walk around Cedar Lakes, uh, which is a local, local kind of campground area, campground park area here in Ripley three miles, very brisk pace, talking the whole time with a backpack on with a 10 pound weight in the back of it. So I like to think I am doing great. They will retest my heart here in another four or five weeks, see how much function I've regained, but I, I am feeling really good. I think I, I'm hoping I get a good result in that test because I feel really good. Well, it is absolutely amazing to to talk with you we've been keeping tabs on you those people that that know you and uh you and i have a mutual friend and and i told you before we started recording we were keeping tabs on you and uh i am listen i am beyond grateful that you shared your story with me that you had enough confidence to in me to share that story with me in this audience and uh you know again those those conversations of course, we we had done this. We'd done this years earlier before there was ever a pot. Maybe we should have hit record on some of those conversations. Maybe we, we should have. Yeah. We had a lot of conversations, probably as many or more conversations about life than we did about business. Yeah, and and it was and, and this conversation about life is no different. 
And again, connect with him at tom.willoughby, W-I-L-L-O-U-G-H-B-Y, at 340B dash 340B max or 340B-max. Dash max. Thank you for, for correcting me. 340B-max.com. Find him on Facebook. Tom, you're the best, man. I appreciate it. And I have so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Oh, it's been great catching up with you. Glad to be here. Literally glad just to be here. Yeah, I am glad too, man. I am glad too. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.